Hello and uh, welcome to this week's Test Podcast. My name's Martin George, I'm joined by Will Stewart. Hi Will. Hi. Charlotte Sanctuary. Hi Charlotte. Hi. And Ed Donald. Hi Ed. Hello, hello, hello. Um, we are also joined by the magic of technology and pre-records and things by Schools Minister Nick Gibb. Wowza. So I actually went to the DfE uh, yesterday uh, and we had a chat about school exclusions, about school funding and about hungry children. How did you find him? Very pleasant. I mean, very engaging. I mean, he, he's a politician. He stuck to his lines. You know, he, he you know, didn't want to say anything out of place. Um, but I think he was more than perhaps Secretary of State at the moment, willing to engage with journalists and talk about issues at the DfE. So I thought that was encouraging. Yeah. Um, Shall I play you a bit about him talking about school funding? Because obviously yesterday um, the Education Select Committee launched an inquiry into school funding. I imagine they'll be inundated with evidence of schools who are suffering pressures. So I had a chat with uh, the Minister about it. Now, on the podcast, we often like to talk about um, topical issues in the news and in education. And I'm sure you'll have seen that um, this week, Robert Halfen, the chair of the Education Select Committee, has announced a review into school and college funding. It's an issue that, that we hear about all the time at, uh, at TES. Um, do you think schools at the moment do have enough money? Well, we've increased school funding. Um, it's 41 billion in the last financial year. It's going to go up to 42.4 billion this year. That's the highest ever amount spent on school funding. It's been maintained in real terms going forward. Um, and we have introduced a much fairer national mm. funding formula using up-to-date data. Some of the data that we were funding local authorities on was 10 years out of date. Um, and we do know, notwithstanding the fact that we're spending record amounts of funding on schools, we do know that schools have um, uh, have had costs that they've had to absorb. There's the higher national insurance, sure. employees' national insurance, there's higher pension contributions, there's the apprenticeship levy. So we do know that schools have had to absorb those costs and that has presented challenges to schools. But if you take a longer view about school funding, um, schools today, according to the, the Institute for Fiscal mm. Studies, are funded, are, perp- are in real terms, 50% better funded today than they were in the year 2000. I, I think the, the trouble is, uh, I mean, the DfE often you know, talks about record levels of funding and, and that's, that is a statistic, but then teachers say, well, that's not what it feels like for me and I'm having to make choices about reducing the curriculum or increasing class sizes. Mm. I mean, it seems that on the ground, when you talk about record levels of funding, it, it sounds like you're in a different world in a way. No, we're in a world uh, where we've had to deal with the record budget deficit. Mm. When we came into office in 2010, again, again, people forget that the financial crash in 2008 was severe. Uh, we had a deficit that's how much we were spending more than we were getting in, in income of 11% of the whole country's income, mm. £150 billion. Pounds. That had to be dealt with. There was no choice that had to be dealt with. Whichever government was in power had to bring that deficit down because somebody has to lend you that money and they will only lend it to you if they know they're going to get it back. And so we had a plan. George Osborne had a, his emergency budget in June 2010 of how we would reduce that £150 billion. It's now down to £50 billion. Uh, we've reduced it very significantly, but we're still spending, as a mm. as a public sector, more than we're getting in an income. Sure. And notwithstanding that, 
challenge, we have maintained spending on schools in real terms during that period. And that has been a significant um, thing that we've delivered, yeah. uh, notwithstanding that Whitehall has had to really cut spending really sure. right across the board. And despite that imperative, we've maintained. But I do know that schools have had to look at their budgets. They've had to um, make difficult decisions. We are helping schools tackle those costs with buying hubs and centralised purchasing of electricity and other things to help schools manage costs. We have a, um, a school efficiency advisors to help schools that mm. are not managing their budgets. We have a thing called a, it's developed by the Atwood Grange schools up in Yorkshire called the Curriculum-Led Financial Planning Tool to make sure that over a three to five year period, schools are deploying their staff that they need to deliver the curriculum. So we are helping schools. Yeah. But, but, you know, the truth is 42.4 billion um, is what we're spending on schools and high needs, and it's the highest ever mm. amount of money we've ever spent on schools. As a department, you must be looking forward now to the spending review that will be coming, you know, in the next sort of is the year or so, I guess. Um, will you be you saying to the Treasury, actually, we think schools do need some more money and arguing that um, you know, they should have a, maybe a slightly bigger slice of the, the, the government cake? There isn't a spending department, whether it's education <laughs> or health, you name it, defence, uh, the police, home office, that doesn't uh, go to the Treasury seeking more money. So, so you will be doing that? Of then, course, then? every spending ministry will be doing that. This Treasury then has to balance all those competing demands mm. because there is only so much money that comes in. Um, and we, we have a very strong economy now with very high levels of, of employment. We have the lowest level of unemployment for 43 years, and that's due in part to the careful stewardship of the public finances. But ultimately, if the tax revenues are not being generated, mm. sufficient, you, have, you can only spend those tax revenues that come in. Yeah. Um, and that's what the Treasury has to do. But of course, we continue to make the case um, with um, other ministers in the in the Treasury uh, for uh, funding of the various projects that we yeah. want to implement and, of course, to make sure that our schools are properly funded. That's always the um, the, the imperative for, for ministers. I think, was it, I mean, you mentioned the... Sorry, um, just looking at the time, I think maybe two more questions. Sure. I think um, I mean, you mentioned NHS and schools in the same breath there. I've been struck by how Jeremy Hunt and the Department for Health have almost been campaigning publicly for more money for the NHS or for a different um, method of funding it. And that seems to have had success with the Prime Minister. Um, we haven't really heard the same sort of public argument being made by DfE ministers. I mean, do you think that had you done that, perhaps you would, or maybe you should do that now to, to try and secure the money that you know, I think school leaders out there really are crying out for? Well, actually, we were very successful in securing an extra £1.3 billion pounds from, of from funding. From existing DfE resources, I believe, not, not from the Treasury. Yes, but it was, a, we had, what happened with the 1.3 billion, we had to have the permission of the Treasury to to reallocate funds that had been allocated by the Treasury for specific sure. purposes. And we were taking also some capital funding uh, and turning that into revenue funding for schools. So those, that extra 1.3 billion, which is a significant sum of money, mm. um, came as a consequence of very careful negotiations between the previous Secretary of State and the Treasury. So don't underestimate um, the effectiveness of the Secretary of State sure. in this department in negotiating with the Treasury. They have their own styles. 
Um, but that was a, a major victory for Justin Greening in securing that money mm -hmm. for, for schools. And that means that um, despite introducing a very effective national funding formula, a much fairer funding system, every school in the country uh, uh, under the national funding formula will gain funding mm -hmm. in both 2018-19 and 2019-20. So that was really good, Martha. Thank you. Um, what do we make of that? So it, its first response, as always from the DfE, is to say record funding for schools. Mm. I think they've got... Oh, I no, think, well, I know they will say it because it's political, but it's like a stuck record, and it just pisses people off. It really does. It pisses me off, mm. and I'm not even a teacher. <laughs> will? Well, I, I mean, he didn't. I, he he was a classic politician's answer, and it, and it was quite a skillful one because he didn't fall into the the. He didn't answer your question, which mm. is have schools schools got enough? Um, but. I, I also thought he was very. Um, he, he seems to be very careful not to fall into the trap that the department, the mess that the department had got into on on teacher recruitment and and not sounding too complacent. But I mean, there wasn't much in there that to give much hope to schools at the moment. I don't think. I mean, I mean, reading between the lines, it, I think they do think schools have got enough, don't they? Yeah, but that's what it feels like. Yeah. And that, that that's that's the disconnect, isn't it, between reality, or at least the reality being felt by schools. Uh, and what the department says, uh, uh, and you're right. It's that thing, it's that sense of the feeling you get that he believes it. That he's not that he's not being disingenuous because he needs he sees the numbers. Let's not forget he's an accountant, uh, uh, and he thinks you know things are probably okay. They're probably not as good as they should be, but they're they're okay. And the reality is that for a lot of schools, they really aren't okay. Um, Charlotte, you're mm. our real expert on on school funding. Don't blush. Um, <laughs> What did, you, what did you make of that? Well, just unpicking some of the things he said. So, yes, he made that claim that he always makes about there being more funding around. Well, as we all know, that doesn't take account of the fact that we've got rising pupil numbers. So it's a completely irrelevant number. Um, yes, pupil per pupil funding is going to be maintained, but there was a period where that wasn't the case, and so schools feel like they're playing catch-up. Um, they've already had to sadly you know make job losses make mm. people make redundant which is is feeding into all kinds of wider problems um and then the other thing that he mentioned was that all schools are going to get a cash increase under the formula well we know and we've highlighted the fact that that isn't necessarily the case and is likely to not be the case because it's going to be down to councils whether or yeah. not they implement the formula well at least until 2020 so it's very likely that there will be a, a fairly large number of schools that don't get an increase. Um, and when that comes out, it, it will be able to counter that claim. But at the moment, it's very difficult when you've just got someone who keeps saying the same things, trotting out the same things over and over again. And it's, it's not the reality as most people know it. Absolutely. I think, I think you hit on the nub of the problem for schools as well, which is what's going to happen when they negotiate with the Treasury. And, you know, and schools have obviously got their funding problems, but a wider problem now is that it's slipped down the list of government priorities. And I thought it was really, you can choose to emphasise different things when you talk about funding. So you could talk about record funding levels, but you could also talk about cost pressures. And if education ministers really want to successfully negotiate with the Treasury, if, if Nick Gibb is saying in public, we've got record funding levels, what's the Treasury going to do? They're going to turn around and go, you've got record mm. funding levels. So if you're really going to push that, you're kind of not 
you're not making that argument. You would be talking, you'd be maybe not falling into trouble saying schools haven't got enough, but there could be different things you could be talking about to, to put the pressure on, and you can't see that working really. So, so it doesn't I, sound like good news. I did wonder with the Department of Health where, where they have gone public, and Jeremy Hunt has very much been <laughs> campaigning yeah. for this. I always thought the DfE would be like, thought, well, we, we're just playing by the rules, collective responsibility, we don't do that. Maybe what Nick Gibbs saying is they don't actually believe that there's yeah, going to be a massive absolutely right. for schools. There's the, the other thing that always plays in my mind when they make those claims about funding is that they don't talk about the stuff around the periphery of schools. So, you know, the fact that CAMS have been cut, yeah. mm. the fact that uh, LEA support has been cut, the school improvement has been cut, that, that, that schools are picking up costs um, that they historically wouldn't have done. So I, I'm always uh, reminded of a primary I went to a year or two ago in, in, in the North East who had basically, they called them outreach workers, but effectively two and a half social workers on their staff. Mm. You know, that's a huge cost pressure. Yeah. You know, so I, I just think either they're living in la-la land or they're being disingenuous, I don't know which. I'm minded to go with the former. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's a good point to lead us on to our, the big story that Charlotte, you've written in um, the magazine today, which is about schools seeing more and more children coming to school hungry mm. and the consequences for behaviour and attainment as well. Um, what have you been hearing from schools? Well, there have been some warnings for quite a while about the impact, like Ed was saying, about the impact of all these cuts and how that's affecting pupils when they're coming to school and you know, in general um, children appearing to come to school facing a lot more pro problems that you'd associate with poverty in general um, and but this looks specifically at, at the problem of kids who just don't have enough to eat and a lot of a lot of teachers and heads seem to be saying that this is a real problem and it's something that has really come to prominence over the past couple of years um, for all kinds of reasons maybe changes to the benefit system um, maybe housing problems, you know, all, all kinds of things. But it seems to be showing itself in the classroom with kids not being able to concentrate, mm -hmm. um, turning up to school, just not having the fuel that they need to learn. Um, and that obviously, e even if you only have a one or two children in your class who, who are facing those kinds of problems, that, that affects then the whole class. Yeah. Um, and some quite shocking stories as well. You know, children who are literally having to look in bins for half-eaten scraps of apples yeah. um, and this this isn't us trying to scaremonger this this is just a you know, this is a reflection of the kinds of things that, that people have been talking about and bringing up when well, when I've been talking to them I'm sure we've all we've all had similar stories should we see what a Nick Gibb had to say about um, hunger yeah. in schools then a, a final question um, in this week's magazine uh, my colleague Charlotte Sanctuary has written a, a big piece looking at hunger in schools nutrition and they try to look at the evidence of of how nutrition can help students' attainment and health. Um, again, a lot of head teachers have talked about more children come into school hungry um, and then consequences for behaviour and attainment. Is that something you've noticed from where you sit here? An increase in, in school children coming to school hungry and perhaps needs to be addressed? Yes, it is something we take very seriously and that's why we've allocated £26 million for the uh, breakfast, breakfast clubs, yeah. and um, and I and I totally uh, agree. You know, children that come into school hungry in the morning are not going to be as attentive as those children that come into school having had a proper breakfast. And so that's what the the mm. twenty six million pound uh, breakfast club funding is all about. Yeah, but, but do you think it's been an, an increasing problem in in recent years? More children. Cause, I mean, the NEU I know recently did say 
they've seen increasing numbers of their members and teachers. Yes, and we listen, and we listen to people like the NEU, um, and that's why we've, we're rolling out this funding for, for breakfast clubs. We certainly, I certainly agree that children work better when they have a full stomach yeah. than when they're you know, hungry. So, uh, that's, um, again, Nick Gibb, as you'd expect, highlighting your know, £26 million initiative um, on school breakfasts. Um, do you think, Charlotte, how much of a difference do you think that will make? Well, there is a lot to be said for breakfast clubs. I think, generally, um, when you look at the evidence for various interventions that have been to deal with this kind of thing, there isn't that much research evidence out there, but there is quite strong evidence for breakfast clubs. And I think one of the interesting things about the study that the EEF did was um, that it found that if you feed, if you feed, if, if you offer a breakfast club, it actually has an impact on the whole class, even kids who didn't go to the breakfast club, because the behaviour levels in the class are that much better. So everyone, it's, it's easier for everyone to learn, um, and that actually the benefits might not just be from the food; it might be from the sort of the social benefits. It might be from the people talking to the teachers and, and having that kind of atmosphere at the beginning of the class. Maybe about children who come from more chaotic homes having that calming environment at the start mm. of the day. Um, but all the, all the teachers I spoke to, all the heads I spoke to, were all, they all had breakfast clubs, but the fact is they were all look, having to look at other things as well. Um, and we know that one academy chain's looking at providing evening meals maybe for free. Um, and then there are all the extras, teachers having to put their hands into their own pockets to feed yep. the kids just because they can see that they're hungry and it seems like a, a good thing to do. Um, there was one head teacher who was just sending food home in a plastic bag to, to families who he knew needed it. So there's all kinds of things going on, on at school, and again, that's just coming out of school budgets. Um, it's not necessarily recorded, but um, it's, happening, it's happening across the country. Um, so that I don't think you can say breakfast clubs on their own are going to solve the problem. It's a small intervention, really, isn't it? Mm. That's what it feels like. It feels like you know a good and worthy one, but exactly, it will make you know marginal difference really to a really profound problem. Mm. And, and when you say in your piece, they talk about kids, kids who don't have dinner. Yeah. You know, so you know, they go to bed hungry, don't have breakfast, and then go to school. Or maybe over the weekend, yeah. eat barely anything, and then come to school on Monday. Just it's just heartbreaking yeah. stuff, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And it does completely make the argument on funding. It's yeah. As you kind of said, because it, it, schools that are in the front line, you know, if on these kind of things that I, I imagine, you know, unless social services are involved, that schools are the one kind of public institution that, that families that can't feed their kids are going to come into contact with, and teachers are going to do something about it. That's what comes, I mean, you've already said it, but it comes across so much in, in the piece you've done, um, just, you know, the lengths and innovation and, and what the schools will do just to tackle it, but it costs money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, last thing I talked to uh, Nick give about was school exclusions. Um, there's been a bit of a review announced recently of school exclusions, so let's hear what he has to say about that. So I think in the last couple of years, the exclusion rate has been going up a bit. I know that I mean, the Select Committee has been looking at this in relation to alternative provision and so on. I think one of the concerns some people have expressed, though, is that some schools are off-rolling pupils, where they try to encourage pupils who might damage their league table scores, to choose to leave school, maybe be home educated. Is that something that you think schools are doing? Well, of course, that would be illegal. There's only one uh, grounds for excluding a child, either on a fixed period exclusion or a permanent exclusion, that is on the basis of behaviour. Mm. Um, and therefore, schools that, you know, if they are engaged in that, they are, that will be unlawful. Now, we've, we're conducting a separate review uh, into home education, 
and and the reasons for home education and that is the review that will look at those sorts of issues mm. our my concern is to look at in this review is to look at the reasons for legal lawful exclusion and to see why the rates differ you say there's been a slight upturn in the numbers being excluded there has been since 2013 but not but we haven't reached the all-time highs that there yep. were in exclusions of 10 years ago this is a small um, uptick if you like in numbers of exclusions um, but the main reason for conducting the review is less that than just to try to understand why there is this disparity of exclusion rates between different parts of the country and amongst different groups of pupils that's the main purpose mm. uh, behind this review and to to try to accumulate best practice and to then to spread that best practice through the school system when this report is published yeah well thanks very much for listening to the uh, this week's podcast and um, see you again next week